0: Will you please turn with me in your Bibles once again to the 8th chapter of Luke's, the Acts of the Apostles, where we will be considering this morning verses 26 through 40. Acts chapter 8, 26 through 40, and you can locate that passage on either page 1078 in your pew Bibles or on page 46 of your Acts journals. While you're making your way there, allow me to just briefly remind you of where we are in our look together at this wonderful, very Christ-exalting book of sacred scripture. Last week, in looking at verses 14 through 25, we considered the unstoppable nature of the kingdom of God as God continues to move His kingdom forward through the Holy Spirit-empowered proclamation of His gospel. And I mentioned to you the importance of our not just looking at the book of Acts in the way that we would look at any other history book. This is more than a mere retelling of historical events. This history is different. There is a very real sense here where we could say that really all of history itself is but feeding into this history. This history is the reign of the risen king. This is a place where you and I can come again and again and again to gain some understanding of God's bigger picture in the history of our redemption. We must view all of history through the lens that we find here in the book of Acts. The revelation of God's redemptive plan in and through the person and work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And last week, you will remember, we looked together specifically at three things that were manifested in these verses as we viewed the text, considering what it tells us of redemptive history. And first, we considered the work of the gospel in tearing down the walls that serve, albeit in vain to stand in the way of God's saving grace in Jesus Christ. As the apostles were told, the apostles we were told, specifically um, John and Peter, made their way towards Samaria, I told you that the first thing we needed to do was to understand the nature of their visit. These men were not going to Samaria for what we would consider to be negative reasons. In fact, quite the opposite. They were not going to question Philip regarding his orthodoxy in the gospel that he so faithfully preached. They were not going so that they could put the Samaritans themselves sort of under the microscope in order to decipher whether their intentions in following Jesus Christ were at all authentic. So why were they going? Why were they there? Well, you will remember also that Jesus had spent time, 40 days in fact, teaching his followers just prior to his ascension. And the content of that teaching or that preaching was that he was teaching them from the law and the prophets all things concerning himself. He really was the key to their understanding the Holy scripture. And having opened their eyes to that truth, he told them to then return to Jerusalem and to wait there, because he would send his Holy Spirit upon them in power. And of course, at Pentecost, we saw that prophecy was realized, and as these tongues of flame settled above the heads of every one of them, they all heard the gospel of Jesus Christ in his or her own language. Now Peter and John have made their way to Samaria to partake and yet another historic event, one of the same spirit being poured out upon these outliers of the Jewish people. This nation that was definitely not Israel. We've covered the tension between the Samaritans and the Jewish people many times now. I'm not going to rehash that again. But these men, these apostles know what is about to take place and they know the significance of it. They know that a wall of division is about to come down because of the power and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And after they had prayed, we are told they laid their hands upon these Samaritan converts, and God graciously poured his spirit out upon them. And beloved, I harped on it last week, but I cannot overstate the importance of this moment in redemptive history. It is a moment that had been anticipated since the curse in the garden. This is yet a further crushing of the head of the serpent. This moment was anticipated in the promise that was made to our father Abraham, that in him and in his seed, the nations would be forever blessed. And Peter and John are there to both acknowledge and celebrate this glorious event with their newest brothers and sisters in Christ. Beloved, we must see God's amazing grace in that. Walls are coming down to the glory of God through the proclamation of the gospel. And because of it, as Paul says in Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, says Paul, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. For those in the know, this was a day of joyful celebration. And it serves as a beautiful reminder of what true Christian unity looks like. It's a reminder for you and I to ask ourselves, what are we willing to let get In the way of that. What are we willing to let separate what we have together in union with Jesus Christ by faith? Secondly, we saw that God through the gospel left a necessary wall still in place. It did not stand between the sexes or between the different ethnic bodies, but it stood between faith and unbelief. And it exposed Simon the poser for what he truly was. Simon, we're told, had been following Philip all around as he proclaimed the gospel. And he had witnessed firsthand the gospel preached in power, bringing about restoration to the brokenness that surrounded them in Samaria. He was so intrigued with what he witnessed that Luke told us that Simon himself claimed belief. And even sought baptism. But considering what is going on around him on this historic day in the history of redemption, the power of God serves to expose Simon as a fool. When he sees the Holy Spirit given to the people through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money for some of that Holy Spirit power. He thought I could sell that seven days a week. He had witnessed the power of the gospel actually transforming the lives of so many of the Samaritan people and he had wrongly interpreted it as something that he could use for himself for earthly power to bring him earthly means. And Peter rebuked him for it. I told you the Greek is pretty close to hell with you and your money. That's what he says to Simon. This isn't just a passing like, hey, I wouldn't do that if I were you. It's a curse. Peter says, pray for God to bring you forgiveness for thinking that this power of God could be purchased for money. And this wall serves to keep Simon where he belongs on the outside. The wall of unbelief. The wall of clinging to the trinkets and shiny things of this world. The wall ultimately of idolatry. The gospel rightly divides between the sheep and the goats. And Simon is proved to be a man who follows Jesus for all the wrong reasons. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? The gospel continues to make children of Abraham and the promise from the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve and the curse. Finally, we saw last week that the kingdom of God marches on in triumph. People hear the good news of the gospel by the grace of God through the power of the Spirit and they run to Jesus and they find life. Satan raises up opposition and we see the gospel knock down that opposition again and again and again. A sorcerer had tricked the people into believing that he himself was in possession of a power that they all desperately needed. And the truth of the gospel exposed him for the fool that he was. And graciously then provided life in Christ for those who truly needed it the message of the kingdom marches on. And I ask you again this morning, beloved, do you believe it? Do you believe it? I hear all the time, we're always talking about this world gone crazy. This world that we just don't recognize anymore. So much sin. Do you believe that the kingdom and its message are still marching on to glory? Well, if you don't, Luke gives us an even more, even more wonderful detail here about the reign of our risen King, and he talks to us this morning about his merciful kingdom in the text that is before us. So if you would, if you have your Bibles already open, please follow along with me as I read now from the Holy Word of God, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through verse 40. Hear now the word of our Lord. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all of her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. And he said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, Of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and, beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now, as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with your heart, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now then they came up out of the water. The Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. This is the word of our Lord. May he always bless the reading of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we're grateful for your word this morning. We do ask that you would clear our hearts and our minds this morning of the many things in this life that are so distracting to us. Father, we pray that you would allow us to hear the truth of your word. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear that we may be transformed by your word more and more for your glory and your glory alone. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that I have come to absolutely love about the book of Acts is that in these narratives, there really is just so much here for us to glean about what I would call the normal Christian life. Now, perhaps you are thinking that maybe I have finally lost my mind making a statement like that about the book of Acts, that I'm on dangerous ground. So allow me to clarify what I mean. Of course, there are things going on here in Acts that are not part of the normal Christian life. I'm not ignoring that, nor am I failing to consider it when I make a statement like the one I just made. I have not witnessed myself any tongues of flame lighting over the heads of any of my friends or my enemies. I was not there when my Lord was taken up in a cloud to glory. I have witnessed none of my friends being stoned to death for daring to proclaim the gospel to haters of the truth without a filter. However, though there are some of these circumstances here at the outset of the Christian church, I feel like we really do need to pause and we need to recognize that as the kingdom of God marches on from Jerusalem into Judea, into Samaria, into the ends of the earth, that there most certainly are things that ought to be present in the lives of ordinary Christians like you and me. And we see them here. Certainly, we can see them here with Philip. This morning, I want to point out to you just a few of these things in Philip that I think that we can see. First, we see very clearly that Philip possesses a deep and abiding love for all people. People who have been wonderfully made in the image of God. Love of people. Secondly, I would like for us to consider here that Philip is certainly guided by the Spirit of God as he lives for God's eternal purposes to bring him and him alone glory. Philip is guided by the Spirit of God. And then finally, I want us to see that in Philip, the need that we should have to both know and joyfully proclaim to live in light of the wonderful truth Of God's holy and infallible word. Beloved. All of these things. Should be true. Of the normal Christian life. First. Philip loves people. Made in the image of God. And we need to understand. That image of God category here. Before we can really. Dig into the proof of that statement. What question naturally arises from a statement like this. Well, Philip loves all all fellow image bearers. Okay, fine. What question arises? Who are his fellow image bearers? Right. Similar to the question we see elsewhere in Scripture. Who is my neighbor? The Jewish people? Are those his fellow image bearers? Those who speak kind words about Philip? Are those his fellow image bearers? Those who care for Philip's physical and material needs? Are those his fellow image bearers? No. Everyone is his fellow image bearer. And Philip loves them all. Think of all the people that Philip has actively loved in the very brief time that we've considered his life together here in the book of Acts. We know he loves the church. And he loves our enemies. He loves widows. He loves Samaritans. We know he loves the sick, the lame, and the demon-possessed. He loves sorcerers who need to hear the gospel and by the grace of God be brought to that precious place of repentance where they can look up and see the glories of Jesus Christ. His love is not in any way limited by what others feel for him. We find Philip here loving people who disagree with him about almost everything. He loves those who hate him for his convictions. Now maybe you're saying, that's a stretch. right? How do we know that Philip loves his enemies? How do we know that he really loves the Samaritans? How do we know that he really loves Simon the sorcerer? How do we know that he loved even those who were enemies of the church of Jesus Christ? He preaches the gospel and power to all of them. You understand? You see, that's the one constant with Philip. Philip loves King Jesus, and he wants everyone else to see him as he is and to find life amid so much death. We simply do not find Philip the evangelist hating anyone here in the book of Acts. He even loves this utter stranger in the text before us this morning. This Ethiopian eunuch. Now, real quick here this morning, I want you to understand the strangeness of this scene and this request of the Holy Spirit for Philip to lead this guy to Jesus. He's not from what we would consider Ethiopia today or our current understanding of Ethiopia. More than likely, he was from what we would consider the modern region of Sudan. He is a man of great importance in the court of his queen, Candace. Luke tells us he was in charge over all her treasury, over all the treasury of her kingdom. We also know he's a eunuch. For whatever reason, Luke doesn't tell us this man has been castrated, and it's apparently known here by Luke. That's what a eunuch is. He is a man from the end of the world to those who are from Jerusalem. This man truly is a stranger in every respect. And even if he were not, his wealth and his apparent station in life would probably have been even more reason for Philip to pay him no mind whatsoever. Yet Philip loves this man. And we know it because he wants like nothing else to show this man Jesus. Beloved, can you say that in your life? Do you understand Philip's heart here? I'm asking, have you built up so much animosity towards another as to just be able to move right on past them and feel justified in Understand, I'm not talking about you forcing yourselves into situations just so that you can tell others and tell yourself what you tried to do. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about all the ways that the flesh will orchestrate something to leave us feeling good about ourselves in the face of the rejection of others. I'm talking about seeing yourself the way that Philip clearly sees himself. Philip sees himself as a sinner saved by grace. So much so that when it comes to the gospel, he will take that heavenly balm to any desperate soul he can find. He will invest himself. He will spend his life because he does not see himself as being better or being above anyone else. He is a sinner who loves to tell sinners about Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Righteousness that everyone desperately needs to hear and desperately needs to have. Regardless of the offenses that they lead with or even wear on their sleeves. I'm asking, have you built up a sort of no-fly zone for the gospel? People that are just too wicked, too dangerous, too unlike you. Telling others about Jesus, telling others about the hell that you have been saved from. The sin that separated you from your God. The sin that Jesus took to the cross to pay the price forever. The righteousness that he freely gives. The life that you've been given in union with him. The love you have because of the spirit of God being in you and with you. Beloved, that is the normal Christian life. It's true of everyone in this room this morning. Regardless of what your testimony is. Do you believe that this morning? This is who God says you are in Jesus Christ by faith. His identity is yours. You are righteous because he is righteous. You are merciful because he is merciful. You are obedient because he is obedient. It is now your joy to obey God in his word. Is it your joy to take part in sharing the gospel with any and all who will hear it? Do you see the need? It leads us right into the second thing here with Philip that I think is true of all of us or should be true of all of us. Philip is guided in his service to Christ by the Holy Spirit. Do you see that here? This passage is even further proof that God really does so love the world. He will not let this man go. He has the ear of his servant Philip. Now I'm sure that there was still plenty of gospel kingdom work for Philip to do with the Samaritans. Undoubtedly they have much to learn. But in this moment, we're told that God sends his angel, a messenger of Almighty God, and he comes to Philip and he says, Philip, arise. Drop everything you're doing. Get up and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Sound appealing? Anyone want to answer that call? Philip makes no appeal. He does not attempt to point out the apparent folly or the probable discomfort of a trip like this one. He says nothing of the fact that, hey, I'm already doing pretty well in Samaria of all places. He's simply obedient. Luke says, so he arose and he went. And here is this man riding in his chariot, reading aloud from Isaiah 53. And the Spirit says to him, Philip, go near this man and overtake his chariot. Now I should point out again the strangeness of this whole scene. We've touched upon it briefly, but there's more. The fact that this man is riding in his cart, Reading a scroll of the prophet Isaiah is not normal at all. God's ways are not man's ways. Understand, this man went to Jerusalem to worship God. You say, well, why is that strange? Because this man could not even enter the temple. Do you know know the law of God? This man could not even enter the temple. He could go to the temple, but he couldn't enter the temple and be with the people of God. And Moses spells out why this man could not enter the temple in Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1. He who is emasculated by crushing or mutilation shall not enter the assembly of God. This man is a eunuch, and this law excludes him from worshiping with God's people in the assembly, in the temple. And yet, he's in Jerusalem to worship. He's still very much interested in the word of God. And he's making his way back to his land, and he's trying to understand the Scripture. Have you been there? His chariot is more than likely a wagon being pulled by an ox or two, and he would not have been moving very quickly, but here is Philip in the desert running to catch up with this guy. So that he can ask this man a question being prompted by the Spirit of God. He is in tune with the Spirit of God. And what does he ask this strange man in these strange circumstances? Brother, do you understand what you are reading? He doesn't say, oh, Isaiah 53, I love Isaiah 53. He looks at this man and he says, do you understand what you are reading aloud on this day? We consider the weight of that question. You remember Jesus on the road to Emmaus, taking his disillusioned disciples who lacked understanding patiently through Moses and the prophets, and showing them what? All things concerning himself. He did it again just prior to his ascension, showing his followers that the key to understanding the scriptures is him. And Philip asked this man a very loaded question, the perfect question for this man. Do you understand why I would say that? The man responds, well, how can I unless someone teaches me? Like Jesus taught Philip. Like the apostles taught the people. Like Philip had been teaching others. And the man says, please come up here, sit with me, and teach me. And Philip had no other place to be than right here. You simply cannot avoid God's sovereignty and His providence here, can you? I want us to understand what's going on. God himself, almighty God, has orchestrated this whole thing to happen exactly the way it happens. Do you see that? God has molded Philip into exactly what Philip is. He has placed him here at this time in this place in his glorious glorious providence to work out his perfect will. He has filled this man from another land with the hope and desire of knowing the word of God though his very nature stands opposed to it. He has placed in this man's hands a copy of the prophet Isaiah. You this is no coincidence. We need to see it. This is, as someone pointed out in our Wednesday morning Bible study, this is God saving a man from God and his righteous, trug- his righteous judgment for his own holy purposes. That's what's going on. His spirit is guiding, pushing his will upon his people to save them in his mercy. Beloved, when we see it, my question is Do you praise God for this very thing in your life? Do you recognize His hand that brought you here this day to hear this word about the unfathomable love of God for a sinner like you, a sinner like me? Do you praise God for His mercy? Do you live with this mindset that God truly is moving heaven and earth for your salvation do you believe that because the word of God says it's true and here's just some of the proof this is all God's work surely you see that it really is unavoidable in this text And so what does Philip say? How does Philip teach him? This man who knows so little, this eunuch who's not even allowed to be in the temple with the people of God, worshiping God in earnest. How does Philip teach this man? He reads a small portion of Isaiah 53. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And his humiliation, his justice was taken away and who will declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch opened his mouth and said, I ask of you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Beloved, as we unpack this, it leads to the final thing that I think we need to see here about the normal Christian life. Philip knows and loves the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. It's unavoidable. He knows the Word of God and he loves the Word of God. I'm, verse 35 is really one of my favorite verses in the entire book of Acts because of everything that's contained and what it says in that little verse. Does it strike you? Look at what Philip does. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture. Isaiah 53, he preached Jesus to him. He told him of the Christ of God that Isaiah is speaking of here. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah, the Savior, the King. He willingly, though perfect in the eyes of the law, went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, for this man's sin, like a sheep to the slaughter. He atoned for for that sin with his own precious blood, with his life. He did not question the justice of God. He went willingly for us. He took upon himself God's justified wrath against our sin. He died and was buried. He arose the third day. He ascended to the place of all authority. At the right hand of the Father. And he is reigning as king. Until he comes again to make all things new. That God in his mercy gives to us faith. That we might embrace Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, and his perfect, efficacious work, and be united to his life, his death, and his resurrection by faith for eternity. And I would point out to you that this too, like so much of the book of Acts, is the fulfillment of even more prophecy. We read it this morning in Isaiah 56. Did you catch it? Beginning in verse 3, do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, here I am, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbath and and who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, even to them I will give my house and within my walls a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And I could go on here, right? We really are just barely scratching the surface of the glory here. This man receives the sign of the covenant and God's faithfulness in it. And he's baptized. And We're told he went his way rejoicing. While Philip was sent by the Spirit to another group of needy sinners who would receive his love through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The normal Christian life. Beloved, do you know God and his word like this? Do you want to? Please understand, I am not trying to guilt you into a Bible reading plan this morning. That's not my purpose in saying that. What I am saying, what I am telling you, is that there is no greater knowledge on this side of glory than Jesus Christ and his word. There's nothing better. Telling you that he loves you enough to stop time, to move heaven and earth, to get you to Jesus through means. You get it here, I hope. You understand, you have the means. You probably have the word of Almighty God in your hands this morning. It's within your reach right now and really at all times. If you don't have a Bible, I'll gladly get you one. Because God graciously brings you to the means. And then he uses you as the means to others. Do you love people enough to be the means? You should. This isn't just the work of pastors and elders. If you know Jesus, you must, by nature of who you are, help others to know Jesus. And it's a joy to do it. You understand, this, this isn't a burden. I'm not laying a burden on you. One of the things that I think will help us in seeing things like this is to have a solid working knowledge of the Word of God through a study of sound biblical theology. And after this week, studying this passage, I'm going to tell you right now, we can do that here. It would be my pleasure to do that in the hopes that you will be able to lead, one, to lead others in appreciating the Word of God as more than just the book that you hold in your hands on Sunday morning. Your redemption is here. God's glory is here. Your destiny is here. Do you see the normal Christian life for the gift that it truly is this morning? Are you willing to let go of your disdain and your disappointment in other people? Do you hear the call To love people made in the image of God. Being guided by the Holy Spirit. Knowing the King and his promises because you know his word. Do you see the mercy in it? Beloved, if you do, then worship will certainly not be a chore this morning as we close with a song at the end of our service like amazing grace. Let us sing his praises as those who truly know this morning. Amen.